John 1, 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 11. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenants with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him, by destroying them. He will not be slack with those who hate him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Ephesians 2, 1 through 14. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is the word of the Lord. So you should have an outline in front of you called the grace upon grace, which is going to, I am toying with the idea of calling it audacious grace when we uh, are subtitling it that, um, or maybe something like audacious grace and uh, discovering Grace Upon Grace, when we write it into a book. We are, uh, if you recall, this was a series we did in 2013 that's been revised and revamped and will be used on Thursday nights at Cedarville this uh, coming year. So, uh, jo- uh, Josiah, I'm going to want uh, about 10 copies of this on CD with nice Grace Christian Fellowship labels to carry in my black bag and then an email sent from Stephen to... Uh, Chris and myself, so that we could forward it to any uh, right out of our phones to any Cedarville students we're talking about that would want to listen to this as a podcast uh, to catch themselves up for, with what we're doing on Thursday nights. And uh, we will start the Tuesday night Bible study at Wright State this week. We are going to be continuing with the, the series we've been doing for two years called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. I am likely going to review that series next Sunday and reintroduce it. And uh, we have covered, we are looking in that series at 15 major biblical topics that the church needs to do a rethink on and then a redo on. You, we can't just rethink it. That's, that's been one of the things that needs rethought is that uh, 
uh, beginning in the second and third century as the church encountered the Greco-Roman Empire, uh, it has always battled with turning Christianity into a conceptual ideas thing and, and, uh, instead of a, a fleshed out incarnational way of life in the community of Christians. However, it's never been as acute as it is in modern evangelical Christianity. You know, in other words, in modern evangelical Christianity, we have turned Christianity into a matter of abstractions and having the right theological ideas uh, with no regard to how much we're actually living in them and how much they're actually impacting who we are, not just individually, but who we are as a community of Christians living these out. In fact, in the idea of lit that, you're, that you're required as a Christian to live as, ta- as a disciple, taking up your cross, denying yourself, following Jesus, uh, embracing his attitudes and his motivations, that's actually covered in one of the articles that we left in the foundational um, literature that's, uh, what, do we, what do we call this, the uh, visitor's packet. Uh, if you have never read the article that's in there called, uh, uh, where, where is that article? Looks like it didn't get put in. The, the, the Dallas Willard one? It's in the very back? Okay, it's not in this version. Or no, is it? No, it's not in this version. This one doesn't have it. But anyway, it's an article by a Dallas Willard called uh, Discipleship for Super Christians Only, and it kind of makes the case that we've turned actually following Jesus, making him your Lord, uh, taking on his attitudes, his teaching, his way of life, uh, taking up your cross in, in, in conforming your whole life to the, the ways of God, the commandments of God, the, the spirit of God. We've made that an optional extra. We've actually introduced this concept called salvation from hell, which, uh, of course, Christianity is about salvation from the fallen nature of man and from the world's way, uh, culture and from Satan and his kingdom, and, and a byproduct of it is going to heaven. We've turned it into all about that somehow you pray this magic prayer called the sinner's prayer, and you can just enjoy the, your hellacious life and rebellion to God, doing whatever you want to do for the rest of your life, and then somehow magically go to heaven, which you're not actually going to like <laughs> at the end of your Christian life. And uh, there's no such message in the Bible. That's just modern Bible-believing Christianity. So the message of the Bible is that when you encounter the grace of God, the grace of God changes you so that you no longer want to be your own God. You no, no longer want to call the shots and define your own priorities about the Lord's Day, about uh, your, how you manage your finances, about your work ethic, about how you treat your wife, about culture. You want to follow God's ways about everything. And that's called being born again and being converted to Christ. And there are literally tens and tens of thousands of people who go to church who think, I'm going to heaven, but I really want nothing to do with actually following the Lord in this life. And I'm just doing my own thing the rest of this life. And, uh, I, you know, and that's, it, it's, so it's kind of a craziness. And uh, that's what that particular article is about. As far as the Right State series goes, uh, we're really looking at uh, 15 major emphases and topics that have to be rethought if we're going to build a different kind of Christianity as a community of believers. 
where we are taking up our cross and following him. And uh, it's not optional to do this. The world is waiting for such a display of the grace of God. You know, one of the slogans that uh, John came up with that's on our sign out front is reaching Dayton with the love of God. That can only be done by a community of people living in the love and grace of God and loving one another that way. And so um, it's one of the slogans we use around here. And so um, at Wright State, we've covered uh, four or so of the biblical emphasis. The first one was uh, what it means to love God because love has become this nebulous term. You know, people have like, I love my poodle uh, and I love dog food, and I love my cat, and I love the Smurfs, and, and I love Jif peanut butter, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, there, and uh, you know, many a young man has said to a girl, I love you, which he mean, by which he means I lust you, and, uh, and uh, we've turned love into all kind of things. Uh, other than what it is, of course, the Greek language helps us a little bit with that since they have three words for our one word English love. But um, we looked at what it biblically means to, to follow the first commandment and to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Sorry, my wires. I hate these wires. It's all messed up today. Okay. So um, then we looked at uh, uh, grace. We actually did a kind of a, what we're doing, to, starting on today is, the, is a redo of the Grace Upon Grace series, and we did kind of a mini version of that at Wright State. Uh, then we did uh, what is the church for about half a semester, for about a half a year, and then we did uh, how does the church reproduce disciples and leaders, and what are elders, and what does it mean to be a disciple, and, and all that kind of thing, and all the different leadership terms in the church from presbyter to to deacon, to, to priest, what do all these terms mean in the New Testament and what sh how, should they be, how should they function in the body of believers? For instance, did you know that you're all priests in Christ Jesus and that uh, every one of you is a priest in the kingdom of God? And there, therefore, you're called to do the things that priests were called to do in the Old Testament. Are you doing what the Levitical priests do? Do you like Ezra 7.10? Have you set your lifestyle and your heart to study the law of the Lord, to live it and do it, and to teach his commandments throughout all of Israel? Are you a person out there teaching the, the ways of God to the world around you? Are you regularly taking someone under your wing and discipling them and saying, this is how you live <laughs> uh, according to God's ways? And... Uh, of course, that presupposes that you've studied thoroughly how to live God's ways. So uh, anyway, we covered that. And then last year, we spent the whole year on restoring a biblical perspective of Scripture. So I, I forget what we're going on to this year, but we're going to look at about 10 more topics over the next two years and hope to finish that series called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. That's probably maybe the best series we've ever done, the most important uh, heartbeat of what Grace Christian Fellowship's actually really all about. Uh, about 20 of our people attend that regularly. And if you really want to know what Grace Christian Fellowship's all about, come to Wright State on Tuesday nights. We make it clear it's not just for Wright State students. Even some old people like Jeff Burks and myself go to the Tuesday night. We, allow, we, do, it, we do permit old people. <laughs> 
And uh, as long as you're as good looking as Jeff Burks and I are. All right. No. Which is probably not hard to do. <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's get into today's material, Grace Upon Grace. And uh, I, just an introduction to the series. Thank you, Deanna, for our scripture readings. Um, now, in the former series, there were six chapters, which we covered in uh, 17 or 18 weeks. Um, now there's eight chapters, and I don't know how many weeks it's going to take. But lucky for you, I won't be doing it on Sunday mornings. It'll be doing Thursday nights at Cedarville. But we are going to be recording them this year. And uh, they will be on podcast available for you if you want to follow that. And uh, this is uh, in the top five uh, topics that uh, Deanna with, uh, and Jeff Burks and myself, Jeff has actually gotten on the team of people that we're going to uh, be turning some of our series into books. And Jeff's going to be turning some of our teachings into uh, rough drafts by using computer software to listen to it and print it, make a print out of it. And that will each uh, each teaching will then have a transcript, and uh, that will be the basis for the rough draft of right, turning it into an article, which will hopefully eventually become a book. So we're we are making progress on these goals all the time. Thank you, Lord. Slow and steady. Hope I live long enough. All right. So today uh, we're going to start. Uh, I'm just going to go over this. There's basically going to be done in in section two sections. Section one, we are going to re-examine what grace is. And when I say re-examine, really that's broken down into two things. One is, let's think about how important grace is. I have almost universally gotten, I, uh, I, I miss uh, Chris and Amanda Wu all the time. Just talked to them, both of them recently on the phone, Chris Longer. And, uh, but I almost always get the, uh, the response that Amanda Wu gave us which was, she said, uh, I don't need to listen to a series upon grace upon grace. I grew up in evangelical Christianity. I've, thought, I've heard about grace all my life. Then she listened to the whole series because I said, I think it'll help you. I, I'm asking you as, as your friend and pastor to listen to the series. And she said it changed her life more than anything she's ever studied or listened to before. Grace will revolutionize your life if you really get a hold of what it is. And nothing else will revolutionize your life to the degree grace will. And in fact, the whole war of our, of our fleshly being and the contemporary Christianity and the world system and so forth is to try to get you to, use a, to have high standards based on a performance-based approach to God. And grace will give you high standards as a gift from God. And uh, that's... Uh, that's quite a difference. And uh, you will not find rest for your soul until you find grace. Oh, and Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. He's actually asking you to encounter him by grace and walk under his lordship with him, uh, you know, yoking you. <laughs> A yoke that makes the oxen go where, he, where, the, oxen, where the, the driver wants to go. He wants to be the initiator of your life the follow-through of your life. He wants to be your all-in-all. All. And as he is, he graciously gives you his resurrected life to live in uh, as a body of people together. So uh, we're going to re-examine what grace is. Uh, and we're going to re-examine the priority of grace. I'm hoping to get into re-examining the, the central importance of grace a little bit today, if I can get that far. Um, 
in section two, which is called Grace Delivered, we're going to get into the fact that uh, grace, all grace, is actually from Jesus Christ himself. Grace is not primarily a, 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 a cerebral or intellectual or abstract concept. It's not primarily a doctrine. It's primarily a person. And only as you encounter in experiential, powerful ways by the Holy Spirit the person of the resurrected Jesus Christ, can you encounter grace and grow in grace and be changed by grace. And every time you encounter the presence of God, whether it's in your private devotions and study, whether you, uh, you know, I used to have some of the best times I ever had with the Lord, I would just actually drive my car to a park, uh, usually pointed at a body of water, because water's nice, and ducks and stuff. And, uh, I actually had a plastic thing that was uh, designed to put, be put on like a treadmill to put books on, and I'd put it on my steering wheel. Don't do that while you're driving. But uh, <laughs> I would wait till I parked and uh, put it on my steering wheel and stick my... I used to use this, actually, I used to use this old-fashioned Bible, not even an electronic Bible, and I still actually found Christ, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't even electronic. And, uh, uh, and uh, I couldn't pull it up in four columns next to each other, although they have such things in hard print. And I've used those at times. But, um, you know, I would have great encounters with God in my car. You know, it, you could have a sanctuary set apart like Jesus when he says, go into your inner room. You know, if you unplug your phone and you unplug from your list of to-do things and you just spend time with God, it's amazing what will happen. But when you encounter God, you're changed by Jesus Christ's grace from glory to glory into his image. The more you touch the presence of God, the more you become like him. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be centered and rooted in. You should have daily encounters where you realize, wow, yesterday, I'm not even sure I was a Christian compared to what God has made me today. <laughs> um, really, you should actually have encounters with God every day that change you fundamentally. And you go, wow, I'm a completely different person after that time with God. And that should happen when we worship together and when we worship privately and when we study privately and, and do Bible studies together and so forth. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at the, the grace delivered, which, as we just said, comes through Jesus Christ and experiencing him. But he doesn't just come to us in some random way. I always use the analogy of turning on the water at your house. You don't think much about where it came from, but unless you're on a well, this, the same principles would still apply, but if you're on city water, let's say, God forbid, uh, <laughs> it, uh, some city has harvested it somewhere from an underground spring, a lake, or whatever. They've cleaned it up to probably like one-third of minimum federal standards, <laughs> and then they've pumped it up into a a thing called a water tower, and they're taking advantage of the principles of hydraulics that water finds its own level, and coming out of that water tower is all these pipes that go down into the ground and come in through the basement of your house and then up through the walls hidden in your house to that sink, and as long as your sink is lower than the water tower, whenever you open the valve, it pours out. And uh, it didn't, but that came through a complex delivery system that you often don't think much about. Likewise, grace comes through a complex delivery system 
Grace is the living water of life, Jesus Christ, coming to us through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, and through the church. And we can talk about those things conceptually uh, in order to organize our thinking and not be confused uh, as separate things. But actually, they are not separate things. They always come to us inextricably intertwined. We must always encounter the Word, the Spirit, and the church. The reason you have a written Bible is because of the faithful Christians throughout the centuries who wrote it in the first place and preserved it because God, by His Holy Spirit, uh, caused them to do so. And so you are always encountering Jesus through the Word, the Spirit, and the church, and they are always coming to you in some inextricably intertwined fashion. And so we are actually going to look at, uh, in chapter... uh, Four of this series, the attitudes and the actions that we need to appropriate and grow in grace. Uh, Chapter 5, how the word of his grace. Chapter 6, the gracious Holy Spirit, who is actually called in Hebrews 10.29, the spirit of grace. Then we're going to look at the the people of God as, as the tool of God's grace. And if you reject any of those, if you say don't uh, actually uh, uh, relate to the scriptures properly and enough, you'll starve. No mother would say, I'm not going to let you eat very often to their kids unless they want to go to jail or you know, unless they're some horrible person. You know, like babies eat every couple hours. And, and every kid I know is always eating like Cheerios and grapes and bananas and and they, they, they just eat all the time. That's why they're so much bigger after one year than they were when they first came out. I love going to the hospital. Uh, as a pastor, I get to go sometimes the first day or the second day. And, you know, these babies are like so little. And then one year later, they're like so big. And then, two, you know, and then before long, they're bigger than you and you're going to their college graduation. So <laughs> because they eat. And they eat a lot. And uh, it's amazing how many Christians actually try to approach the Christian life without eating much. So we're going to, you know, we're going to look at all these delivery systems of grace in this series. Now, for the rest of today, I hope to just get into an explanation. I've used three words here. Primary, hope you know what that means. Foundational. And central. Now, foundational is so huge. Um, I don't know... Uh, you know, any of the guys who worked on the, the construction this summer understood some things about foundations. You know, things have to have structure. You know, there's a lot, this, this drywall ceiling looks so nice. Thank you, everyone. And uh, however, uh, it's, it's held up by a structure of two by fours and blockers and all kind of things that are quite solid. And uh, just once, one of the guys didn't step on the two-by-fours and stepped on the uh, drywall, and uh, it caused some damage, but fortunately, they didn't come all the way through. But uh, <laughs> you need some structure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, so we're, grace is foundational. If you try to build the Christian house on something other than grace, it will be a house that the winds and the waves break down. When Jesus got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount, 
he talked about two kinds of guys, one who built the house on his word of grace and the other who did not. And if you notice, the same winds and the waves came against both houses. You know, when he talks about going into your inner room in private in Matthew 6 and so forth and so forth, he doesn't say when you fast, but if, or I'm sorry, he doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. And then the scriptures don't talk about uh, if you pray, but when you pray. And if you notice, both guys had the same torrents and storms and so forth. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives seven parables of the kingdom. And uh, one of them we wrongly call the principle of the sower and the seed. But the sower and the seed stayed the same. It was about four types of soil. It's actually a principle about soil and the kind of soil that receives the seed. And in it, he says that when persecution and affliction arose because of the word, the one who didn't have a firm foundation immediately fell away. He didn't say if affliction or persecution. Do you know the very fact that you are uh, being, being drawn by God and your eyes are starting to be open? One of the things we don't, you know, because we're so into like used car sales techniques for all our cars and stuff these days, we don't uh, help people see is if you start to be, your eyes start getting open and you start getting excited and you're reading scripture and you're like, things are being clear, you're going to get trouble. And it's going to come real soon and real hard. And it's going to come from your family and from, your, uh, from Christians, not just from worldly people. And in fact, being tested by God's wrong people is a major theme of Scripture. It was the people of God, supposedly, that opposed Jesus the most. Uh, as, as John brought out in his Galatians series, what were called the Judaizers, Jews, who were resisting grace and walking in performance, actually sent teams of people to follow Paul all through the uh, Mediterranean world and disrupt him in every city. And at times he was, he was three times he was lashed, 39 times. Once he was stoned and left for dead. And then went, got right back up, went back to the feeding. <laughs> Most of us would be like, at least I got, I think I've got a migraine. But <laughs> I don't think I'm going to church today. <laughs> Paul said, wow, that was a really good meeting. I felt the power. Yeah, the power of rocks. But, uh, you know, let, let's do this. Okay, so grace is primary, it's foundational, it's central. And uh, so I want to get into explaining John 1, 16 through 18, just a little bit. So in verse 16, it says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace, uh, the Greek word is anti, upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Now, I'm going to talk about the Greek verbs were realized through Jesus Christ, and no one has seen God any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So we're going to talk about those verbs in a little bit. Now, this is mostly what I'm about to say. I changed a couple of words to make it clear, but most of this is taken substantially from the InterVarsity Press New Testament Commentary Series. It's their 
their comments on these verses. Mostly, people misinterpret this scripture today. This inter- 99%, without exaggerating, of Christians totally turn the meaning of this scripture around. Most Christians kind of think that when he says the law was given through Moses and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, that he was actually contrasting something, something like completely different. But what actually the Greek verbs make clear, he's actually adding to something. He's saying the law was God's gracious gift because of, to, to a people he had graciously chosen. Both the scriptures that Deanna raised, read in Deuteronomy uh, earlier today and uh, one we're going to look at in Exodus, both make clear that you didn't choose him, he chose you. When, John, when Jesus said that in John 15, 16, he wasn't saying something new. He was saying that God has always from all eternity wanted a people for his own possession. And all men were under sin, so none sought for God, none uh, were righteous, all had turned aside, all were running from God. And God graciously chose a people for his own possession, and when he did, took them out of Egypt and so forth, he also gave them his law, which was his grace. In the law of God, as Paul says in Romans, contains the embodiment of wisdom and knowledge. The law of God is the way to live. Thou shalt not steal. If just the governments of this world could learn that, that would change the whole world. The entire world has embraced a kind of economics called Keynesian economics that basically says stealing from the people is good and printing money that's actually not really money is good. And so we, whenever the, the economies are in trouble, we can actually increase spending by shooting out into the economy a bunch of false money that's, not, that's called paper money that's not real money, and we get it by stealing it from the people by forced taxes, and we, we hope that the people are too stupid to understand that this kind of money causes a thing called inflation, which the Bible speaks against over and over. It's adding thinner to the paint. It's adding water to the wine. It's adding dross to the silver. Uh, paper money is to say, is in, in increasing the money supply makes the money less valuable, and it's a way the government can get your money in a secret way called inflation, and it's the cruelest tax of all, and it's a tax on all the stupid people who can't keep ahead of inflation by being wise about investments. And almost 90% of Americans are... are are hindered by inflation all the time. And it's the government breaking the law, thou shalt not steal. So if you don't understand that, go on the Institute for Christian Economics websites, read some of their stuff, or even what's called the Austrian School of Economics, von Mises. Uh, I've been reading a book this week because someone, in our, I think it was Byron Burks, told me he's reading uh, one of the classics of, of the Austrian School of Economics, so I decided to reread it this week. Called, uh, what, what's the one I'm reading again? <laughs> Henry Hazlitt's uh, Economics in One Lesson. So I think it was Byron. Somebody told me they were reading that book recently. I thought it was Byron Burke. So I thought, why not? I'll read that one. Uh, it's like a classic. Everyone should have read that in third grade. But um, so 
You should have been raised on it. Uh, yeah, maybe eighth grade. <laughs> you know. All right. Did someone just say they read it in eighth grade? <laughs> oh, maybe eighth grade. So uh, it's not actually that hard. It, you probably could read it in eighth grade if you were brought up right. All right. Um, maybe fourth grade, really. In any case, we'll debate that later. So uh, let, let's read this quote here. Verse 17, it's sometimes read as a rejection of Moses and the law, antinomianism, but the relation between Jesus Christ and Moses and the law is one of fulfillment. The graciousness of God, graciousness of God revealed in Scripture has now been perfectly manifested in Jesus. The careful construction of verse 17 even allows us to say more precisely how that how this is the, the case. The significant contrast in John is not of the law over and against grace and truth, since it is the same graciousness of that same God that is revealed in both. Rather, it is the contrast between the verbs was given, adothe, and came, or realized, in agentneto. The, the verb to give itself speaks of the divine graciousness because it obviously talks of God's gifts. Indeed, grace and truth were manifest at the giving of the law, so these verbs are not contrasting a negative with a positive. Rather, the divine graciousness evident in the divine was given is tremendously intensified in the divine Jesus came and explained the Father to him. Okay, So um, the same graciousness has now been manifested in an entirely new mode. The word be flesh became flesh. So there is a contrast here, but it is one of adding to the degree, not over against or instead of. The grace received in Jesus is added upon the grace that came through Moses and the law. The association between the two is basically one of continuity. The whole entire evangelical Christianity and the thing called dispensationalism has turned the Testaments into a discontinuity. The association between the two is basically one of continuity of the partial contrasted with the full. While there is continuity, while there is continuity, it is nevertheless a quantum leap that has occurred in Jesus. At verse 18 makes clear, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known, or in the NASV, he has explained him. Hebrews 1 talks about how he is the image of the invisible God, and he has perfectly declared or explained him. John's Hebrew, see John's Hebrews 1 series, or his whole Hebrew series, but the part about chapter 1. So I hope we get this. What, we're, what he's saying here is that grace is the central idea of the whole Bible, and it was intensified and in, in fully realized in Christ. Okay? Now, uh, I'm really running out of time, so I might have to, uh, I'm going to just do the best I can and go over about five minutes to see how much I can do. Point B on the back of your outline. Grace is used in the Old and New Testament. The Hebrew word chen, the Greek, Greek New Testament word charis, uh, the Hebrew word appears 69 times in the King James uh, version of the Hebrew Bible. The charis appears uh, 156 times uh, you can look at the definitions of crease there and so forth. It's the word we get Eucharist from and, and grace and uh, gifts and the grace, gifts of the Spirit have the root word crease. There's a lot of words in the New Testament that have the more than the 156 we're talking about that have the root crease. Um, and uh, 
The Greek word kareto, which has the same root, means highly favored or accepted or honored with blessings. Now, in Luke, um, when, when the angel appears to Mary, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Right? Now, that is actually the exact same Greek word and construction as in Ephesians 1.6, when Paul tells us that we were accepted or in the beloved or that the grace of God was freely bestowed on us. God has actually made you, despite yourself, the much favored of the Lord. And he didn't do it on the basis of anything in you that was worth making you the much favored of the Lord over. It's not because you're such a steady, devoted, consistent Christian. It's just given to you free. And the reason there's so much, un, uh, you know, uh, Andy Gearhart was telling me that he actually got ran out of uh, one of the first churches he ever pastored because of teaching on grace. And because grace really upset the people of the church because grace is audacious. It's a free gift. You got it despite of what a worm you are. You got it despite of how wicked you are. You got it be, even though you were running from it. God, and, God called you and, and converted you and granted you repentance uh, despite yourself. And despite everything that was motivating you before you came to God. And even people who go to church are... are you know, the publican and the Pharisee, and I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people and all that. It's because they don't want to submit to God's grace. See, works and performance base flatters your pride because I'm a little better than everyone else. I'm not like those drunkard people or those whatever you have in your hierarchy of what makes you more righteous than other people. And when you're performance-based, you always criticize other people. You uh, don't make very much attempt to, 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 to be like them in terms of meeting them where they are. You know, when you really start to encounter grace, you'll actually even carry yourself, learn to talk, dress in such a way that you can meet people right where they're at. You'll become all things to all men and, and so forth all people so uh now um, i'm very out of time i i want you to see that grace is a central historical narrative of all scripture so i've listed some very important verses there to get you started with that idea and i want you to understand this that when jesus said in exodus 19 god is speaking to israel just before he gives them the ten commandments and he tells israel that I've made you my special people in the earth. If you will indeed obey my voice, then you shall be a special treasure to me in all the earth, right? Well, hopefully we all know those verses because they're quoted verbatim in, in 1 Peter 2, 5, and 9. When uh, they're, they're, they're spoken to the church as well, in other words. God has always wanted a people for his own possession, and when he called you and drew you to himself and made you a holy nation and a people for his own possession. He says to Israel, if you obey my voice, if you do my commandments, then you'll be that special people. And they answered all that you've said we will do, which was sealed their fate and their demise, because they should have answered, none of what you said can we do. 
They should have thrown themselves on the mercy of the court and began to ask God to grant them grace. But they approached it as it was by performance, and that's the entire history of the Bible. God judging Israel over and over because they, they were self-righteous and they hated the Gentiles around them because and they, wouldn't, they, they were very careful to dress differently and, and behave differently and not be well at relating to the Gentiles and even conduct business differently and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't take the grace of God to the Gentiles. And so that's the message of the whole Bible. Paul sums it up in Romans 10 when he says, Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify them that they have a zeal for God. Thousands and thousands of fundamentalist Christians that this verse applies to today. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They were like the Pharisees who said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You remember the blind guy in John 9? They say, you were born entirely in sin and you're teaching us? Right? That spirit is so alive in the church today. And kids are brought up on it. It's because they're discipled in that spirit till it totally is woven through their whole life. And it's deception, and it's the opposite of the message of the Bible. It's religious. You can read the Bible a lot. You can go to church a lot. You can live a godly life on some levels, but you're missing the underlying central primary foundational point. One of the reasons God has been so gracious to my wife and I to put us into a ministry to broken and troubled people is because we're the same. We're the broken and troubled people from the bad families. And when you begin to see that, then you get set free by the grace of God. The people born here, I tried my whole life to be uh, a good husband and a good father. My, the product of that is sitting right there. And, and last night we had a family gathering and so forth. And the truth of the matter is, I was a miserable father if you compare to God. I left my kids with confusions, hurts, everything else, because I'm a failure as a person outside the grace of God. And if there was anything that came through that was of God, it was despite me by because of the call and grace of God on my life. Isn't that flattering? See, that's why people don't like grace, because it doesn't leave you any room for self-righteous religious pride. Just want you to know I'm one of the most wicked people you've ever met. And, <laughs> and God's had mercy on my life, and hopefully if I disciple you, I won't mess you up too much. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, brother. That's what Paul's saying in Romans 10. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And I don't got anything of it in myself. I got nothing. All right, so the last few points, God, grace is realized in Jesus Christ. Uh, grace is the critical issue for Paul and the apostles, especially see John's Galatian series that he recently did. Re there was a time when, when I knew I needed this so much that I actually used to read the book of Galatians every day. 
Galatians was the central issue of the Reformation. Read Martin Luther's commentaries on Galatians. Grace is what, what most Christians don't want. Because grace leaves you no room for human pride. Grace throws you completely on the mercy of the court. And you have to trust someone else other than you. It will deliver you from being a witchcraft, control freak, manipulating. I got to keep my finances from everyone else and my kids from everyone else. and my, You know, grace will set you free. Lord, they're your kids. Kids, the Lord's watching you, so when you play in the street, don't, don't bring any knives in the house. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, like, like people are like so freaked out and worried. Grace, anything but grace will cause you to be worried and anxious and controlling and nitpicky about every little thing is... I've got to try to control everyone and everything around me and, and keep things close to my chest. No, you don't. Your life's in his gracious hands. Uh, grace is the critical information of St. Augustine's theology and so forth. So we'll uh, be doing this on Thursday nights if anyone wants to come out to the, the, uh, all the way out to Cedarville. But this will be the uh, series that we're doing on Thursday nights at Cedarville University.